0: Welcome to the Six of One, Six Dozen of the Other podcast. This is your host, DJ Swab Joker. I hope you guys are having an excellent August. You guys are staying cool and uh, staying six feet away from each other because, you know, we got to gotta stay healthy, and make it through this pandemic. So uh, I'm sure by now you guys all know that I'm a huge movie buff and I like to really dissect movies and pick them apart. And- explain how i see them from my perspective well today we are going to be discussing not only my favorite movie and book but my favorite movie franchise to date it started with a book that came out in 1990 by michael Crichton, who then sold the works to steven spielberg and he made it into the top grossing movie of 1993 you haven't guessed what i'm talking about yet here's a hint dinosaurs yes ma'am yes sir we are talking about Jurassic Park a franchise that is extended over ooh, I'd say 18 not nah, 28 years now right it came out in 1993 and the newest movie is going to be coming out next year so yeah yeah it's been my favorite growing up ever since my little cousin showed me the movie and scared the hell out of me I have been an avid fan of Jurassic Park ever since I was a kid now if you're like 90% of the population and you've seen this movie, well then you're gonna enjoy this because we're gonna talk about fifty facts about the Jurassic Park franchise you may or may not have known. And if you haven't seen this movie, man, what the hell are you doing with your life? Seriously, you're an adult. Go out and watch Jurassic Park. It's a historic movie, okay? It's on Netflix for crying out loud. So right now, go ahead, pause the episode. Yeah, right. You right now, pause the episode, push the button, go sit on your couch and watch Jurassic Park on Netflix. It's, it's on Netflix, are crying out loud. You could borrow someone's account. Hell, if you have time, email me at bernard at gmail.com, and I'll give you my Netflix information so you can watch the Jurassic franchise if you haven't. Okay? Please, do yourself a favor. Now for all of you guys wondering, oh, 50 facts about one movie, that seems a little bit excessive. Oh, you'd be kind of right. That'd be a little bit boring. So I went ahead and stretched out 50 facts about the entire Jurassic Park franchise. So for each of the movies that are out or about to be out, I'm going to give 10 facts about each. So I can uh, kind of expand my uh, field of knowledge here. You know, I don't want to just focus on one movie, you know, kind of nitpick all the facts that I for all this enlisted 10 facts about each of the Jurassic Park movies that we have to date including the one that's going to come out next year called Jurassic World Dominion which I gathered as many facts as I could about the movie that we know right now all right so here is 50 plus facts about the Jurassic Park franchise stay tuned So, the first movie I'm going to start out with is the classic 1993 Jurassic Park. Alright, fact number one Steven Spielberg found out about Jurassic Park while working on ER. When director Steven Spielberg and author Michael Crichton were working on a screenplay that would eventually become the television series ER, Spielberg asked the writer about the plans for his next book. Crichton told him about Jurassic Park and Spielberg immediately tapped Universal to buy the film rights in May 1990, before the book was even published. He was so excited that he began storyboarding the scenes for the book, even though there was no screenplay written yet. James Cameron, Tim Burton, and Richard Donner were also interested in Jurassic Park, but Steven Spielberg won it out in the end. Actually, I remember James Cameron personally talking about it and saying that he was planning on doing an Aliens-type Jurassic Park film, and when he saw the finished product that Spielberg released, he was actually happy that he didn't win the rights, as he wouldn't have given us something as good as we got from Spielberg and Crichton working together. Number two, Jurassic Park almost took a backseat to Schindler's List. Though excited about Jurassic Park, Spielberg wanted to direct his dream project, Schindler's List, first. the MCA slash Universal Studios president Sid Sheinberg Sheinberg yeah would only greenlight Spielberg's Holocaust film if the director agreed to make his dinosaur picture first both films were released in 1993 Jurassic Park in June and Schindler's List at the end of the year Spielberg and his crew completed filming on Jurassic Park on November 30th 1992 12 days ahead of schedule but he had to quickly shift gears and concentrate on shooting and completing his next film, Schindler's List, which would go into production in March 1993. Because of the tight shooting schedule on that film and the extensive post-production needed for Jurassic Park, he handed over some post-production responsibilities to a friend and frequent collaborator, George Lucas. You may know him from the Star Wars films, who owned ILM. Lucas was given a special thanks credit in the final film. Now, for you guys who don't know, a little bonus fact: Spielberg and um, Lucas worked together not too long before on a film called *Land Before Time*. That was more or less them tipping their toe or uh, dipping their toes in the dinosaur franchise, because believe it or not, Michael Crichton wanted to write a book that was kind of. kids about a dinosaur theme park but his main demographic and fan base were mostly adults who really read his work to see the scientific and medical side to uh, his novels which he knew from uh, talking to his publicist that writing a children's story about dinosaurs wouldn't sell so he agreed to write an adult version of the Jurassic Park adventure with the promise that when he directed the film it would be more or less made for kids and that's how we got the version that we got. Number three, in order to pull off the dinosaurs, Spielberg had to get creative. Because the dinosaurs couldn't be life-size animatronic recreations, Spielberg had to think a little differently. So he assembled a group of special effects legends to create his version for Jurassic Park. Stan Winston and his team, which created the exoskeleton from the Terminator movies, would build and operate the live-action dinosaur robots. Some creations, including the T-Rex, were full dinosaurs, but were mostly just the upper half, including the head and torso of certain dinosaurs, while others were just the bottom half, including legs and claws, like the velociraptor in the kitchen scene. Michael Lanatieri, special effects supervisor on Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, and two Back to the Future sequels, would supervise the interactive elements on set. For instance, In the final scene when the CGI T-Rex throws a CGI raptor into a practical T-Rex skeleton, Lanatiri was responsible for making sure the skeleton reacted in a realistic manner to the yet-to-be rendered CGI elements. Phil Tibbett, who received an Oscar for his special effects work on Return of the Jedi, would use his go-motion technique an updated method of using miniatures and stop-motion animation to add motion blur to each frame for smoother and more lifelike movement for the dinosaurs in wide shots. And finally, Dennis Murren, who previously supervised special effects on the Star Wars films and Spielberg's classics, such as E.T. and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, would lead the effects team at Industrial Light and Magic, also known as ILM. In seamlessly combining all of these effects and elements in post-production, Spielberg wasn't 100% happy with the wide test shots of dinosaurs. They just weren't photorealistic enough. So, Marin and his team, spurred by their revolutionary experience in designing and incorporating fully computer-generated characters into films like The Abyss and Terminator 2, showed Spielberg an early CGI dinosaur test of a group of Gallimimus skeletons running through a field. Spielberg was in awe of the ease of movement and realism of the effects, but still was wary that they wouldn't hold up under intense scrutiny. And he didn't want to scrap Tibbet's practical animation talents altogether, so the director urged Mullen and ILM to go further. When they came back with a CG test of a fully rendered T-Rex walking through a field in broad daylight, the director decided to go full CGI for some shots. While viewing Murren's complete CGI test with Spielberg and other members of the effects team, Tibbett said, I think I'm extinct. Spielberg incorporated Tibbett's comment into the film as an exchange between Sam Neill's Alan Grant and Jeff Goldblum's Im Malcolm, quoting Dr. Grant saying, I think we're out of a job malcolm saying don't you mean extinct as groundbreaking as the visual effects in jurassic park are there will never be enough good things said about the dinosaurs that were built by the great wizard stan winston and his company especially the tyrannosaurus rex the prehistoric creature is perfection brought to life with amazing care and detail but that level of detail actually proves somewhat problematic on set the calculations for the robot's functionality were based on certain expectations for weight, and what was not accounted for was the amount of water that the foam layer would soak up from the rain machines. Engineers would work quickly to try and dry the T-Rex in between sets, but it got to a point where the whole thing would start violently trembling when moving. Number four, a huge hurricane hit the set during production. Jurassic Park shot on location in 1992 on Hawaii's Kauai Island. Hurricane Iniki, the most powerful hurricane to hit Hawaii in recorded history, hit during filming. Attenborough apparently slept through most of it, who played John Hammond in the movie. When asked by cast members how that was possible, he replied that it was nothing. After all, he had survived the London Blitz during World War II. Number five, only one robotic dinosaur actually made it to the Hawaii set. According to Entertainment Weekly, only one of Winston's machines were used on location, and that was the sickly Triceratops that the characters come into contact on the tour. All of the other robots, including the one used most famously as the T-Rex or the Raptors in the Kitchen sequence, were used on sets and sound stages. Winston's Triceratops puppet took eight people to operate. One person operated the eyes by remote control, while the others sat in a pit underneath the dinosaur. Each of the limbs were operated by a different puppeteer, the others operating the mouth, tongue, and breathing mechanism. Number six, Spielberg did dinosaur sounds on the set that really weren't helpful. Actors today are well-versed in shooting opposite things slash people that don't exist until they're built by a computer, but it was a brand new experience for the stars of Jurassic Park. To his credit, Steven Spielberg tried to help out and add to the experience for the actors by making his own dinosaur sounds during production, but it turns out that his stars didn't really love those efforts. To quote Sam Neill, who played Dr. Grant from the Blu-ray special features, that was kind of more funny than anything, and the acting part was not laughing. It's not easy. Number seven. Stan Winston Studio made a baby Triceratops that was never used. The brilliant work that Stan Winston Studio did for Jurassic Park notably also included the sick Triceratops that Ellie Sattler and Alan Grant tried to care for, but it may surprise you to learn that it wasn't originally going to be the only three-horned dinosaur in the blockbuster. During pre-production, the effects house also went through the effort to make a baby Triceratops. Though it is never actually used, Fortunately, behind-the-scenes footage still exists. Now, this is a reference to uh, Lex in the book riding a baby Triceratops. And eventually, this uh, dinosaur would be seen in the sequel Jurassic World in 2015, which kind of pays tribute to that whole scene that was scrapped. Number eight, the T-Rex wasn't initially in the final scene. Jurassic Park is a film that hits you with the epic thrills in its final moments as our protagonists are saved at the last minute from the terrifying velociraptors by a shockingly quiet Tyrannosaurus Rex. But that wasn't the ending that was featured in David Coepp's script. Initially the idea was that the raptors would get caught in the T-Rex display skeleton, one being crushed by the jaws and the other being crushed by ribs. But by the time production got to shooting the sequence, they were brimming with the confidence regarding CGI possibilities. Thus, the original ending was scrapped in favor of Rexy being the hero for the moment, which basically means that the CGI crew were more confident in uh, what they were rendering at that point. So they decided they were comfortable actually bringing back the T-Rex for one final showdown. Even um, Steven Spielberg was quoting uh, or quoted to saying that he knew the audience would hate him if he didn't bring the T-Rex back in for one final encore at the end of the film and I'm uh, certainly glad he did I feel like it would be just a little anticlimactic to see these uh, velociraptors get squished by uh, the skeletons of a T-Rex you know so I'm glad they went with the version that they uh, ultimately went with in the end number nine the Explorer attack scene happened by accident remember that terrifying moment when the T-Rex attacks Lex and Tim in the Explorer with only one piece of plexiglass to protect them? Well, as it turns out, that scene wasn't supposed to go down that way. As Joe Mazzello told Entertainment Weekly back in 2013, we were in that car and I think the T-Rex was only supposed to go down so far and the plexiglass was the only thing between them and the dinosaur, he reminisced. The pair were so startled by the incident that their screams were genuine, shrieks that were so loud that Spielberg elected to keep them in his final cut. And finally, number 10, the reason for Malcolm and Hammond's monochrome clothing. The Characters of Ian Malcolm and John Hammond found themselves butting heads during some scenes of Jurassic Park over InGen's research. It's interesting to note that the pair wore opposite-colored clothing during the film's two-hour runtime. Malcolm dressed in all black and Hammond dressed in all white. The story goes that Spielberg and Crichton saw the duo as representations of themselves, with Spielberg's positive and idealistic approach resembling Hammond, hence the white garments, and Crichton's cynical and scientific side defined by Malcolm and his black dress code. And there you have it, 10 facts about the 1993 version of Jurassic Park. And now we move on to 10 facts about its sequel, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, which was released in 1997. Number 11. Michael Crichton called his Jurassic Park follow-up novel the only book he ever wrote that he knew would be made into a movie. He took inspiration from Arthur Conan Doyle, who had written his own dinosaur novel in 1912 called The Lost World, and who famously resurrected Sherlock Holmes after killing him off, something Michael Crichton used to justify bringing back Ian Malcolm, who had survived in the movie version of Jurassic Park, but not in Crichton's first novel. Number 12. Even so, Spielberg and Jurassic Park screenwriter David Coop ended up tossing a lot of Michael Crichton's plot and characters aside, although they kept a handful of keen scenes. That included the central piece of mom and dad Tyrannosaurus Rexes attacking a trailer in order to rescue their wounded infant. Number 13. The two T-Rex parents he built were so massive, 19,000 pounds each, that were just head and torsos, that they couldn't leave the soundstage, and sets had to be built around them. They were mounted on carts that ran on fixed tracks. Number 14. The crew had the most fun staging the T-Rex attacks on the trailer. Creature designer Shane Mayhem recalled, At first we were hesitant, thinking that we had to be careful with the rigs, but it got to the point where we just said, Ah, to hell with it. And we just demolished that trailer with the T Rex rigs. Mahan said, The scenes weren't faked. Those T Rexes were really slamming into the trailer, breaking glass and shaking it. I think the scene really worked because we went for it like that. You can tell that something truly violent is happening. The cliff over which the damaged trailer dangles was built out of a parking garage on the Universal Studios lot. Number 15. Most of the outdoor footage was shot in the redwood forests of North California because there are no redwood forests in Costa Rica, and that ancient enormous tree look gave the scenes the prehistoric look that Spielberg wanted. Number 16. The sequence where the velociraptors attack in the tall grass had to be planned a year in advance in order for the seed sow by the production crew to grow tall enough. The crew planted eight full acres in case scenes required multiple tasks, since the grass, once trampled, would not spring back up. Number 17. The idea of ending the movie with a T-Rex attacking San Diego came straight from Conan Doyle's novel, whose finale brought a pterodactyl to London, and from Spielberg's delight at the idea of making his own little Godzilla movie and seeing a T-Rex drinking from a swimming pool. Number 18. How did the crew of a ship get eaten if the T-Rex was still locked in the cargo hold? Well, apparently there was supposed to be a scene showing the raptors aboard the ship, but it was never filmed. Actually, there were quite a few scenes in this movie that uh, got cut from the, uh, the the final cut of the movie that we got. There was a lot of uh, kind of uh, last-minute changes at the end of the movie, because originally they were going to stick more towards the, no- the novel's source material, where it keeps them on Isla Sorna. And there were a few scenes that... Uh, got left on the uh, the uh, cutting room floor few of them um, that didn't end up getting shot and then there was a few that ended up actually getting filmed one of them includes um, Peter Ludlow's character accidentally drunkenly falling on the baby Tyrannosaurus's leg thus breaking it which explains why it's broken in the movie and they don't get into that and I feel like that scene alone would have provided a lot of context to uh, why the T-Rex was wailing and screaming and stuff. And it also, it's a little bit of poetic justice because in the end, Peter Ludlow's character gets his leg broken before he's eaten by the baby T-Rex. Another scene that was deleted was a scene involving the T-Rex smashing his head through the glass and window of the person's house in San Diego, whose swimming pool he was drinking. And I know there was one scene where a bunch of fishermen fished the body of a parasolophosaurus out of the ocean, which kind of hinted at how the dinosaurs were starting to get off the island, something that they uh, wrote in the story of the novel but ended up not kind of uh, talking about in the movie itself. So a few more uh, extra facts for you there. Number 19, the Godzilla gag isn't at all subtle except for the fact that one of the fleeing Japanese businessmen is saying, in Japanese, I moved from Tokyo to get away from all this. At least the filmmakers dropped their early idea of printing out on the punchline in the subtles. And number 20, David Coepp, the screenwriter, has an, a cameo as Unlucky Bastard, who was eaten by the runaway T-Rex during the San Diego chase sequence, who is also running alongside the Japanese men that I had just quoted in the, the last movie fact. And there you have it, 10 facts about the Lost World Jurassic Park. And now we move in to the 2001 sequel, Jurassic Park 3. Number 21. A few of the action sequences in Jurassic Park 3 are borrowed from leftover ideas from the first two Jurassic Park films. Some of which were in the original scripts and made it as far as being storyboarded before they were scrapped due to time and budget constraints. These scenes included the pteranodon and riverboat sequences. Number 22. According to an interview with William H. Macy, who played Mr. Kirby in the movie, he said that the movie's animatronic Spinosaurus had a 1,000 horsepower motor and that the creature could turn its head at twice the force of gravity, with the tip of its nose moving at the speed of more than 100 miles per hour. The Spinosaurus was the largest animatronic ever built. It was 25 feet high, its length reaching around 40 feet long, weighing at 24,000 pounds, and was operated by hydraulics. This allowed it to operate while completely submerged in water. It ended just behind the hip, so any shot that shows more than this had to be generated with computer CGI. The ringing of the phone in the Spinosaurus's stomach is an homage to the crocodile from Peter Pan, who had swallowed an alarm clock and then went around everywhere, clicking when the time was going off, thus alerting the others to its presence. The effects crew used 250 gallons of oatmeal to stimulate Spinosaur droppings. Now, I just gave you an extra three facts there, so, you know, you're welcome. Number 23. Steven Spielberg initially devised a story idea which involved Dr. Alan Grant living on one of InGen's islands to study the dinosaurs that remained. Because he was not allowed in for research, he was living in like a tree house like Robinson Crusoe. However, Johnson rejected the idea because he couldn't imagine Dr. Grant returning to any island inhabited by dinosaurs after the events of the first movie. Number 24. At around 10 minutes, the establishing wide shot of the dig site was actual footage filmed in the early summer of 2001 at Jack Horner's excavation which contains several large tyrannosaurus and some hadrosaurs the raptors refusing to abandon their young is also taken by jack horner's research at around four minutes when ellie is talking to grant she even mentions getting a quote from jack horner for her book now for those of you who don't know jack horner is actually the character that Dr. Alan Grant is based off of. He's a real dinosaur expert and provided lots of insight to Steven Spielberg and Michael Crichton when they wrote the screenplay and the movie and the book. Number 25. Original scripts and storyboards had a Baryonyx as the main dinosaur instead of a Spinosaurus. Baryonyx is a close relative of a Spinosaurus and they looked basically the same, but Baryonyx was a little smaller and did not have a fin like the Spinosaurus did. Director Joe Johnston wanted the main dinosaur to look nothing like the T-Rex and though the Baryonyx would have been vastly different, the Spinosaurus had a bizarre look that no other carnivore had. At about 55 minutes into the movie, the reveal of the Spinosaurus standing still near the fence is one of Stan Winston's favorite shots. Director Joe Johnston had to keep telling the effects team to dial back the animal's movements because he wanted it to be as still as possible before bursting into a run something that real predators do in real life. Number 26. The second script involved a pteranodon escaping from Isla Sorna and causing a string of mysterious killings on the mainland, which was to be investigated by Dr. Alan Grant and the others. The project was greenlit, but five weeks before shooting began, the entire script was rejected by Steven Spielberg and Joe Johnston. They just couldn't see eye to eye with this script he felt like the story would be kind of too complicated and by that time they made the decision 18 million dollars was already spent into the project number 27 in the script a carnotaurus was originally supposed to be the dinosaur that the group encountered at the spinosaur dung site but a last minute change changed it to the ceratosaurus because not even a year earlier disney made a movie called dinosaur which had a Carnotaurus as its main antagonist. and They didn't want to seem like they were ripping off the Disney movie, and eventually the Carnotaurus would make its debut in 2018's Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom. Number 28. During production, exterior shots of the compound and interior shots of the Embryonics Administration Lobby were filmed on the same backlot which stood for the Site B village in the Lost World Jurassic Park. In fact, the operations building set was merely redesigned to create the facade and lobby of the Embryonics Administration Lab. And as of 2016, the set still remains on the Universal Studios Hollywood backlot, adjacent to the War of the Worlds and Whoville sets, although the entire structure has collapsed in on itself. Number 29. The T-Rex animatronic was actually the same animatronic used for the buck in the Lost World Jurassic Park. Stan Winston Studios just repainted the animatronic lighter colors. However, they can both be recognized due to the robot having the same facial scarring on the right side of the muzzle as the one from the previous film. During the production of the fight sequence between the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex, the animatronic's neck was broken clean off the robot because the Spinosaurus animatronic was so big and powerful It destroyed the robot in one hit, and after the scene was filmed, the set and crew became emotional. Number 30. Despite being the main dinosaur of the film, the Spinosaurus has 3 minutes of screen time. And there you have it, 10 facts about Jurassic Park 3. And we wouldn't get another Jurassic Park sequel until 14 years later in 2015, when Steven Spielberg teamed up with Colin Trevorrow to release Jurassic World. Number 31. In an interview on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Bryce Dallas Howard says that the little boy hugging the long neck in the petting zoo is her real-life son. Now, for those of you who don't know, Bryce Dallas Howard was the actress who played Claire. Claire. And if you also didn't know, Jimmy Fallon also makes a cameo appearance in the movie halfway through. Number 32. At one point in the film, toddlers can be seen riding baby triceratopses in the gentle giant's petting zoo. This scene was actually included in the original movie with one of the children riding a baby trike. Special effects technicians worked on the effect for a year, but the scene was finally canned after Spielberg felt it ruined the pacing of the movie, which I had mentioned in my earlier facts. Number 33. The jeep number 29 that the kids repair and drive away from the original visitor center is the same one ridden by Hammond and Gennaro in the original film. The jeep number 18 that Owen and Claire hide behind is the one ridden by Grant, Sattler, and Malcolm when they first arrive on the island in the original film. Number 34. When the boys are in the back of the ambulance rig, they fight over a taser, with one of them yelling, how do I turn it on? and the other one replying, I don't know, as a dinosaur approaches. This is a near-perfect recreation of the scene from the original movie where the Star siblings fight over a flashlight saying, how do I turn it off? And, I don't know, as the dinosaur approaches. Number 34. Director Colin Trevorrow came up with the idea of featuring Mosasaurus, which is the movie's main marine reptile that you see in the trailer. He pitched the idea to Steven Spielberg of having the Mosasaurus feed on a shark in front of bleachers filled with park guests. Spielberg loved the idea of the Mosasaurus eating a shark, but suggested that when the animal grabs the shark that the whole bleacher section submerge underwater using a hydraulic system so the audience would be able to see the Mosasaurus feeding underwater. The moment where the Mosasaurus soaked 200 extras in the bleacher section was Trevorrow's favorite moment of shooting. Closer examination will show that the shark that is being fed on is, in fact, the same shark from the movie Jaws, which was also directed by none other than Steven Spielberg. Number 36. The Gyrosphere set was built above the Kaawaa Valley in Kualoa Ranch, Oahu. It's still standing and is featured in some of the resort's tours. Per employees of the ranch, the set will be used for weddings, special occasions, and etc. The same ranch was used for the Gallimimus scene in Jurassic Park, 1993. I actually have a very very special personal connection with this uh, resort as I did go there when I was 12 years old and got pictures with that famous log that the people or the uh, actors hid under when the Gallimimus scene was being filmed. Number 37. At around 5 minutes, Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, can be spotted on the cover of a book that is being read by Zara on the monorail. A copy of the same book titled God Creates Dinosaurs is later shown on Lowry's desk in the control room when he is first introduced. A book by Dr. Malcolm about his trip to Jurassic Park was mentioned in The Lost World and in Jurassic Park 3. Number 38, a Spinosaurus skeleton can be seen in the city walk area of Jurassic World. It alludes to the creature that we saw in Jurassic Park 3. At the end of the movie when the T-Rex destroys it, It's referencing how the T-Rex lost to the Spinosaurus in Jurassic Park 3, and how its triumphant return satisfies fans and critics who hated the fact that Rexy had lost to the Spinosaurus in the 2001 sequel. A sequence involving the T-Rex biting the head off of an animatronic dinosaur was planned, but fear that the audience would perceive this as implying CGI was superior to animatronics kept it out of the movie altogether. Number 39. Most of the dinosaur effects were created using CGI, but animatronic raptor heads were created for the squeeze cage in Owen's raptor paddock, and a practical animatronic apatosaurus head was also created for the sequence filmed in Hawaii. And number 40, director Colin Trevorrow told Empire Magazine that Blackfish, a documentary about killer whales in 2013, was a big influence on the movie. The behavior of the captive Indominus Rex was based on Tillicum's behavior in captivity. And there you have it, 10 more facts, but this time about Jurassic World 2015. Next, we move on to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which was released in July 2018. Number 41. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom's director, J.A. Bayona, asked the visual effects team at Industrial Light & Magic, to reflect the Indoraptor's genetic input, but he added references such as Boris Karlov's classic Frankenstein to the mix. We wanted the dinosaur to have the mood of a rejected creature. I thought about the terrifying sadness of Frankenstein, says Bayona, who also requested references to the mentally ill patients at psychiatric hospitals. We wanted to bring the kind of shakes they have with their bodies from the illness for the Indoraptor. Number 42. Owen refers to Blue as his clever girl. In a training video, he states, Who's my clever girl? Yes, yes, it's you, to a baby Blue. A similar dialogue is recorded in 1993's Jurassic Park between Robert Muldoon and the big one Velociraptor, who he calls a clever girl right before she attacks him. Number 43. During a newscast, one of the synchromes at the bottom says, U.S. President questions existence of dinosaurs in the first place, which is probably a jab at how the U.S. President Donald Trump questioned the existence of global warming and frequently dismissed it as a myth or conspiracy. Number 44. Five animatronic dinosaurs were created for this movie, unlike Jurassic World 2015, which only featured one. More animatronics were used due to the many various and closer interactions actors had with the dinosaurs. One scene was when Bryce Dallas Howard rode atop the sedated T-Rex. Number 45. The scene where the Indoraptor stalks Macy to a room is a direct reference to the story of the Fallen Kingdom. A story about a king dying and as a result a dragon climbs through the window of the princess's room to terrorize her. There's actually a really famous painting of this story that is directly reflected in the cinematography used for this scene. Number 46. The fact that Isla Nublar is actively volcanic was noted in the first novel, and it seems approximately 30 years later this detail finally becomes plot-relevant in dramatic fashion. Number 47. A deleted scene with the Indoraptor would have explained that an electrician was recently killed by the Indoraptor. When the electrician was sent to fix the light in the Indoraptor's cell, the guard shot it with two tranquilizer darts instead of the required three. The creature then pretended to be sedated so it could lure the electrician in and kill him, which would have set up the scene with Wheatley when it does the exact same thing. It also explains why the Indoraptor cell was dark when Maisie stumbled into it. Number 48, another deleted Indoraptor scene would have showcased a second white Indoraptor sibling that would have been killed by the black Indoraptor, further painting the connection to its genetic Indominus Rex roots. Number 49, after Claire is injured in the leg by the Indoraptor's claw, she is seen later with a slight limp, a reference to Jurassic Park when Ellie is escaping from the Velociraptor in the maintenance shed and she is shown to be running with a limp and finally number fifty jurassic world fallen kingdom is the first movie to include the logo in the title card and also to have a post credit scene And there you have it folks fifty facts about the jurassic world franchise to date and now i'm going to throw in a few bonus facts about jurassic world dominion the third sequel to the jurassic world movie that came out in 2015 that is yet to be shown and will be released in the summer of 2021 so this is everything we know about Jurassic World Dominion Jurassic World 3 is set to arrive in theaters June 11 2021 from Universal Pictures that could change but for now at least that's when we can expect to see the movie for ourselves when did Jurassic World 3 begin filming well Jurassic World 3 initially kicked off filming in February, with director Colin Trevorrow sharing an initial set photo, which also confirmed the movie's title. Filming commenced for several weeks, however, in the interest of public health and for the safety of cast and crew, production was forced to shut down mid-March. Production resumed on July 6, 2020. What is the plot of Jurassic World Dominion? Well, so far we know that specific plot details for the movie are largely being kept under wraps for the time being. That said, in broad terms, it will be dealing with the ramifications of dinosaurs being out in the real world. The man-made prehistoric beasts that weren't killed when Isla Nublar was wiped off the map were set free and, last we saw, are roaming around in populated areas. Last year in 2019, there was a, a Jurassic Park short called Battle at Rock previewed what it would look like. Beyond that, the specifics haven't been revealed at this time. However, don't expect outright chaos. Despite the post credit scene in Fallen Kingdom that showed us Pteranodons in Las Vegas, Colin Trevorrow has already made it clear that the core plot won't revolve around dinosaurs attacking cities. He said he took a lot of inspiration for Jurassic World Dominion on watching a lot of planet Earth documentaries that deal with wildlife just thriving on its own, in its own specific areas. Which Jurassic Park characters are coming back for Jurassic World 3? Aside from uncaged dinosaur madness, the biggest hook for the sequel will be reuniting the original trio for Jurassic Park on screen for the first time since 1993. Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum will all return as Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, and Dr. Malcolm, alongside the cast from the new trilogy. All are said to have important roles in the movie, unlike Jeff Goldblum's cameo in the last movie. They even brought back Lewis Dodson, the villain from the first movie that tried to sneak embryos off the island with Dennis Nedry, who is going to be played by Campbell Scott at this time, as the original actor that played Lewis Dodson is currently in prison for a sexual assault of a minor. Will we see dinosaurs in snow in Jurassic World 3? During the final days of production, Colin Trevorrow shared a few intriguing photos from the set. It's not so much the content of these photos that raised big questions, as they weren't too revealing. However, the common thread is that all of these early photos featured snow. That means we are more than likely going to see dinosaurs in the snow, which would make its first mark for the Jurassic Park franchise. The question is, where precisely are these snowy locations? And how will dinosaurs fare in the snow? Whatever the case, it could present a ripe opportunity to showcase new and interesting visuals. So far, Jurassic World Dominion is scheduled to be released theatrically by Universal's July 11, 2021, which I mentioned earlier. Even though the COVID virus has delayed productions, it has not, as of this time, affected the release date. And there you have it, folks. Everything known about Jurassic World Dominion, a movie that's going to kind of be the the grand finale of the Jurassic Park franchise that won't be released until next year, God willing, because of this whole COVID situation. And that, in a nutshell, is 50 plus facts about the Jurassic Park franchise. And there you have it, folks. You know, Jurassic Park was probably my favorite movie growing up, and it still remains my favorite movie to this day. I absolutely love the books by Michael Crichton that provide a lot of scientific input, you know, into the whole genetic backstory of the dinosaurs, It really kind of sets the lesson in life that we shouldn't try and play God and mess with genetic power, and it's really reflected in the character of Ian Malcolm, who Michael Crichton wanted to write as a character that reflected himself and his value. So, you know, I'm glad to see that this movie is continuing to make films to this day, you know. I remember constantly Googling to see when Jurassic Park 4 was coming out in the early 2000s after I got hooked on a Jurassic Park because my youngest cousin was watching Jurassic Park 3, and you know, we collected all the dinosaur toys, and we would have all these debates, and I had to wait until I was an adult to finally get the 2015 sequel that came about, now I feel Jurassic Park is in full swing again. and It makes me feel like a kid, you know. I, I've I've always loved the movies and the books, you know. And I feel like nowadays I'm not even really watching the movie to you know see cool dinosaurs and stuff. It's really to see, you know, how the director uh, storyboards these scenes and the visual effects and uh, the fantastic acting from all the actors that have taken their turns in this franchise. And you know, I know that I'm not the only one out there. I know hundreds of thousands if not millions of people hold this film in my regard and i've loved it since day one every time i bring up jurassic park it doesn't matter how somebody feels about the films that i watch or you know jurassic park everybody will always love those movies so like i mentioned in the beginning if you haven't taken a chance to actually sit down and watch these movies ah, you are missing out they are amazing you know some of the sequels don't um you know, they fall just a little short compared to the original movie, but I mean, how are you supposed to beat a movie like that? You know, I've always loved the continuity that exists between the movies and that's been carried on into the sequels to this day. And uh, I know they're just going to continue to do good with this final movie that's going to come out in, in hopefully, in the next few months, by next year, you know, June 11th, 2021. But, you know, with this whole COVID thing going on, we'll just have to see. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the six of one, six dozen of the other podcast. I'm very grateful for everyone, friends and family, who have been tuning in and supporting this uh, this podcast, and I plan to continue uh, just riff riffraffing and talking about whatever it is that uh, piques my interest, all right? So if you have any questions or, you know, you want me to read anything on the show, please feel free to email me at T-E-E-J-A-Y-B-E-R-N-A-R-D at gmail.com. Thank you. Again, so much for tuning in. Keep classy in the place and put a smile on your face. <laughs>